Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. You know, this isn't for the sake of, you know, diversity of color on its own. It's because people who are different, people who are varied in their backgrounds and in their lives can bring different ideas. I mean, there are going to be story ideas that I will never run across in this city just because of the fact that I am a, an aging white woman with two children. And, you know, we need we need all kinds of people to be pitching. Welcome to It's All Journalism. My name is Michael O'Connell, here with another podcast about digital media and the people who make it. And in the studio today, we're going to be talking about journalism and journalism education and uh, how small papers, I don't want to say it's a small paper, but certainly community papers like the you know, Washington City paper can uh, help young journalists sort of make that transition into our industry. In studio with me are two people, Liz Garrigan of the City Paper. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. And uh, Brooke Van Dam of Georgetown University, the uh, journalism school there. Yeah. Welcome. Thanks so, so much. So let me start with you, uh, Brooke. There's a program, we're here mostly to talk about a program that Georgetown is offering well, let's talk about the journalism program to start with. What can you tell me yeah, about Yeah, so it? we offer a master's in professional studies journalism. So it's a little bit different than your MA or MS programs in that you're getting a professional studies degree. And most of our courses are taught by professional journalists. So the students are getting full applied learning. And there's five required classes and five electives that they can take. It's a 30-unit program. And the final class that they take is a capstone class where they have traditionally worked on you know, enterprise type stories or smaller stories um, that they really just write for their professor or lecturer. And I think that that's super neat. However, <laughs> I found in getting it, they're writing really interesting things. And a lot of the stuff that they're writing is about DC. So for me, it was silly that I was the only one reading it when they were producing really good content. I mean, they're master's degree students. So that's sort of how this idea was birthed to partner with City Paper. To, okay. to see what we could do. Okay, was yeah. that was that your idea? Did you reach out to Liz and and sort? I did. I stalked paper? Liz right when she moved here, <laughs> and said hi. She stalked me even before I got here. I was <laughs> I was emailing Brooke from Paris, and uh, you were pretty new to town. Yeah, and I was new to town, and. She had this idea, and the only thing I can take credit for was recognizing a good idea when I heard one. So, yeah, so shortly after I got here, we, we got together and started talking about it. So we've been sort of in conversation about this for a few months, and we're getting to the point where we're going to launch this thing. So yeah. Okay. So, um, and now the students are, are working on their capstones right now? Yeah, so capstone class runs every semester. So the first cohort of students will start in January working in conjunction with City Paper to produce stories for them. So, yeah. So you said that the students are writing things about D.C. What type of stories are they writing? So it depends on their interest. I mean, different students have different interests. Some write, you know, they'll, they'll find a story about a small crime and kind of write about that. We had a student write about uh, gentrification on H Street. A student has written about cemeteries and how they're continuing to make money even after they don't have any more space. So we see a variety of different stories. Uh, had one about immigration in D.C. and a student sort of followed 
someone until the ceremony here in D.C. where, you know, they were made a full citizen. So I, I was just reading these really interesting stories and thinking how sad that I'm the only one reading it, which is it happens a lot in journalism schools. You, know, you get all these professors together and we say this is good or not good. And oftentimes it doesn't go beyond that when a lot of times they're producing really high quality stuff. So what were you hoping to, to get out of this, Liz, besides just free content? Well, well, yeah, I mean, that's always a consideration given the uh, given the budget environment this, these days in, in journalism. But no, really more than that, we have had a problem in this industry. And really, if I'm being honest, particularly in alt-weeklies, we tend to be a very, a very white uh, workforce uh, in the alt-weeklies around the country. And it's a problem. And when Brooke came to me with this, this idea, among the benefits I thought was to, A, recruit young, talented voices, postgraduate voices, by the way, people who have a little bit more seasoning, a little bit more experience than undergraduates, which is always, and more maturity, which is always welcome, you know, and to try to get, nurture that, nurture that talent, get it in the paper. We want to reflect more more voices, you know, a different generation. And this program is, I think, overwhelmingly, correct me if I'm wrong, but minority. And that is very attractive to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see that. And that's something that we've talked a lot about in the podcast is how we can sort of promote the idea of, of creating diverse new, newsrooms. And part of it is getting people who are diverse to, you know, they're getting the content into our first into our papers and into our, our websites and our platforms, but then getting them on the staff and then getting them into the, the management, work them up through the system mm -hmm. so that so that because it only enriches the your coverage of, of the community that you're in. Right. You know, this isn't for the sake of, you know, diversity of color on its own. It's because people who are different, people who are varied in their backgrounds and in their lives can bring different ideas. I mean, there are going to be story ideas that I will never run across in this city just because of the fact that I am a, an aging white woman with two children. And, you know, we need we need all kinds of people to be pitching. And this isn't, you know, this is going to be a very structured kind of program. This isn't a situation where a student's going to call me and I'm just going to run their piece. We're going to vet these pieces very carefully, first through the program, Brooke and her colleagues, and then they will come to us and we'll talk through these pieces developmentally and consider whether or not we think we want to run them. So there's not sort of a straight quid pro quo or anything like that. It's it's just an opportunity for both us and the students to try to publish their work. Yeah, and, and you're you're both gonna be benefiting from it. It's exactly. not it's not just, you know, you're 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 publishing Johnny's prize winning story. You're actually looking at the story and, you know, making sure it's at the level that you want it and maybe even working with them on the stories is hey, maybe this needs another other interview. Always. That's there's there's really Rarely a time when that doesn't happen, even with even with people on staff. So. Why, why do you think it's important for for students to work in a newsroom? What, what do you think that opportunity gives them? Well, it gives them some insight into how it really works. I mean, I don't I don't know what kind of career trajectory most of Brooks students are on. I don't know if, if they're all looking to to go into a newsroom atmosphere or not. I, I don't know. But until you do the work and report a story from from inception till it's published you don't know how the industry works you, you the only way to learn it is to do it and so if it's something that they want to do after they get out of school 
then it's pretty critical that they get some practical experience. Yeah. And it's funny, we had, um, you know, just in our last podcast, we had uh, Daryl Montgomery from the, the Washington City Paper. Yeah. And his story was, hey, I'm a student here at the Co- uh, Cochrane School. Maybe it'd be a good idea if I went to the Washington City Paper and see if they, they could use a photographer mm-hmm. and, and I'd go and work in the newsroom and, then, and everything. And, and then he did that. And he pretty much had to learn, yeah. A, how to deal with the newsroom, but basically you know, how to be a photojournalist. Right. I mean, he, I think in the beginning, by his own admission, he pretty well sucked. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 30 years on, he's but, okay. But, uh, you know, he, he is a hell of a photographer. He's so good. Yeah. And beyond that, if I could just plug Darrow for a second. Please. He brings so much to the paper beyond his beyond his photojournalism work. I mean, he just has such a steady, steady hand, a steady mind. He has great judgment. He's kind of like... My consigliere. I mean, I just I don't know what I would do without him. You know, he's he's, he's that important to the paper. Yeah, and he's got such a great perspective about yeah. the city as well and how it's changed. And, yeah, and he, he he's been there the longest. He knows the institutions and he knows. Yeah. Well, and see, that's another benefit that's for for students is you know having the opportunity to work with people who who are working journalists and seeing you know, learning the lessons that they've had to learn from, you know, imparting there. I know my own, my own, my own experience of, of being an editor at a newspaper and, and having the opportunity to work with interns and, and new reporters, you know, I always found that incredibly rewarding. You know, not that I was like, you know, lecturing them or anything, but seeing them develop their skills and then offering their advice and, and just listening to them sometimes it was, it was really valuable mm-hmm. and, and rewarding to me and enriching to, to me and sort of helping me to, sort of redirect myself in, in, in this great this great career that we were all in. <laughs> Stop laughing. It's a great career. It is. No, no, Despite no. Despite what everybody you, says. You had a little, you, you made a face, so I was just. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> I always make faces. No, it's, no, I'm just thinking, you know, yeah, we've got, we've been getting a pretty bad rap lately, but I think, I think journalism does. It's journalism very does, important. Yep. It's very important. I think we wouldn't be here if we, if we didn't believe it, it down to our bone. Um, one of the things about the podcast that we've talked about a long time is sort of the role of the J school in our industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been tough. You know, the industry's had a really tough time in the last 10, 15 years. Everything has sort of changed with the technology, with, you know, the shrinking newsrooms, you know, the you know, people just trying to find jobs, people coming out of college who, who have difficulty finding jobs. You know, where do you see the role of the J school as at this point? I think day schools have a tough time. So we are, our program is situated in the School of Continuing Studies, which is very unique in that we are not accredited by AEJMC. And so we don't have to follow all of these rules that a lot of the other big schools do in terms of if we change a class, we have to go through AEJMC and, you know, get it approved. We obviously have to go through the Georgetown curriculum system, which is rigorous in a different way. But we don't necessarily, we, we can be a little more nimble in that. But I think these big J schools have a problem. First of all, there's not as many jobs out there as they weren't as there once was. That's just how it is. And the jobs that are out there look a lot different than they did a long time ago. I mean, speaking of the newsroom, the newsroom is changing. Yes, there are still these central places where you know news organizations come together and talk, but increasingly you can do that remotely because of technology. So, you know, Places can hire freelancers. I mean, look look at a place like Vice. They hire freelancers constantly. That's pretty much their entire budget is is freelance. So 
then you have to teach students how to, if you're going to be a freelancer, how to budget your own life and business and how does that work? So I think it's tough. And I think right now journalism, as you just alluded to with this election we all just went through, took some some hard hits. Yeah. And maybe it was needed. Maybe there needed to be a moment of reflection in the community because of what Liz just alluded to, which is the uh, white, um, generally city dwellers um, of the country that are that are journalists. I mean, we all talk to each other. We hang out. We know each other. And maybe we are missing some voices there that needed to be heard. So I think that J schools are invaluable and they have a lot to provide. But I think that they're. I mean, it's justifiable to say that there's an issue there. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree with you that the, the necessity of yeah. J schools and um, if for nothing else to teach teach what the values of journalism are. Right. Um, and I think when, when you have debates about, about you know, Facebook and, and Google and promoting fake stories and what is what is news and what is real and, and what is truth and, and, and the idea of a, a post-truth world, I mean – you know, th- that speaks to the heart of our career. And so it's really important to sort of establish, you know, what are we as journalists? What what makes us what makes us a value? I mean, if people are, are knocking us down, we, we have to be able to come back and say, this is what we bring to the table and then live by that. Yeah. I always say journalists are their worst PR people. Oh we don't God, do yes. good enough PR for for what we do. And I'm hoping that you know, now as things change, we start advocating for ourselves a little more to say, look at what happens i.e. fake news, (laughs) when Mm -hmm. we don't have truthful information. You know, people then make judgments based on that that they might not have made had they had correct information. And and this is a value to society, particularly democratic society. Yeah. 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 And that doesn't mean the Democratic Party. That just means democracy. Right. Yes. (laughs) Sorry to clarify. To to clarify. Just to to clarify that. So let's talk a little bit about the city paper. Um, What do you see now as kind of the role of the city paper as as an alt-weekly? We need to do a better job of holding public officials to account. We are very good at deep, original reporting. We're going to be doing more of that. We need to be an absolutely essential voice in the city, and we have been over the years. I think I'm new to the paper. I'm, I'm four months in as editor, so I have a lot of ideas about what I want to see us do more of and better. So I think you're going to see some pretty hard-hitting stuff come out of the city paper over the next over the next bit. I think over the years, City Paper has lost some core readers uh, who need to come back to us. And we've obviously gained uh, younger readers as well. I would like to to see us kind of stage a, a resurrection of sorts in, in, in the sense that if you miss reading your City Paper, then you, you know you've You've missed something, you know. What do you What do you see as the the, the unique voice of the the city paper? What is it? Well, how does this, it speak this to the is, community? Well, this is a city with a very good daily newspaper, and not all alt weeklies are in markets like that. But this is also a city with a daily newspaper that does not value local news. And I mean, look, I'm not the first to to observe that the Post, while an incredible news resource, it is now powered by Jeff Bezos and his resources. And he has made it clear what his priorities are. And local's not it. All you have to do is wake up in the morning and pick up your post. And you might have one story about the district in, in the local section. And it does not do a good job of covering the city, which is city paper's opportunity 
we need to cover education, politics, the arts, and we are the voice of the people who really live here. And we are, we're going to cover the mayor's office and we're going to cover the local artists and we're going to cover, you know, in a way that the Post doesn't really make a priority. And so that, that is our opportunity and that's what we're going to seize on. Yeah, yeah, I I have a I have a an immense appreciation for for community news and the power I spent ten years at a community a chain of community newspapers and I stayed there that long because I I saw the value of it and and the importance of it and and the the weekly the the alt papers uh, you know the the alternative press I mean, they took a really big hit that doesn't always get talked about when, when we talk about journalism and, and where it is at in the economic structure that, you know, people kind of focus on things like the New York Times and the Washington Post and, and Boston Globe and all these other bigger papers. It's all just a matter of scale. I mean, we're all exactly. we're all suffering from the decline of print advertising. It's just a matter of scale. I mean, for, for Alt Weeklies, it was the death of classifieds and, 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 you know, Craigslist, the rise of Craigslist. I mean, that was enormous, huge. But yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, but, no. Uh, it's just a matter of scale. It, it really is. I mean, we're all in the same boat. Some are national, some are local. Yeah, so. and, and there are models that, that that are emerging that I think work, and, and there are opportunities that I don't think people have quite explored. There's an interest in this type of content. It's just you know figuring out how to you know pay for it and and, mm-hmm. and, and support it because mm-hmm. you know this is not something you just pull out of the air. This is stuff you've got to go out and right. spend some time and money on. Right. And speaking of content, I think one of the interesting things, too, is just for me growing up in what was still the newspaper age. I mean, when I was in college, I couldn't wait to pick up the All Weekly because mm-hmm. it spoke to a younger audience in a way that the you know official mm-hmm. newspaper didn't. And so one of the attractive things, I think, in this partnership is also a new audience for city paper, mm-hmm. you know, bunch of Georgetown students, it seems unlikely, but now is engaged in reading and being a part of this content in a new way. And and traditionally, I think alt weeklies have always been so good at speaking to people in their 20s in a way that the bigger papers didn't. So I think content wise, it's really exciting to see. And, and maybe this we'll see if it's if this works out really well, but, you know, could be a type of model, too, for both bringing in new audiences and then also producing content for right. those same audiences you don't you don't know until you try yeah. yeah and and um and the other thing i would the other distinction i would make you know when you talk about community newspapers that has a connotation that right. is different really than what all weekly strive to do we value really sharp writing we value point of view we really like to rattle the cages whereas you know, when you community newspapers has a sort of a different connotation sure. of, of more covering the really hyper, hyper, hyper local um, high school sports. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it is a really different animal. Oh, no. Um, uh, yeah. As I've come to realize it being because uh, our association with the AAN. Yeah. And, and talking to people in, involved in that group, yeah. um, just, the, you know, long form writing, in-depth writing. Kick-ass reporting. Stories that, that rattle the, the cages. Yeah. I mean, th- that necessary journalism at the local level that, that doesn't always get produced by the big mm-hmm. dailies because it's not as sexy. The other thing that all weeklies offer is that in towns all over the, the country and in this city, there are these narratives that sort of become crafted. Here in, in the district that... Chancellor Kaya Henderson, who was the chief of schools until um, last month, that she had made all of this progress in terms of closing the student achievement gap and so forth. And, you know, the, the Post would herald her. And, and you know what? It's not true. And sometimes you need 
a newspaper to go in and do the really hard, deep, difficult reporting to to say, you know what, that narrative is false. And and then, you know, and we did that recently. Shortly thereafter, in the post, in these stories buried in, you know, 5B, you would start to see these little acknowledgments about the achievement gap. And, you know, we are, we matter, you know, because we call... You know, yeah. and the only thing that matters is the truth. <laughs> That's all that matters. And so sometimes it's it's also a matter of holding the media to account. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not trying to pick on the Post. I love the Post. I it's a great newspaper. But there are huge, huge gaps in its local coverage. Yeah, let me let me pick on the the Post for okay. you a little bit. <laughs> okay. As I said, I was I ten ten years working for the Connection newspapers in Northern yeah. Virginia. And I cannot tell you how many times we would cover big stories yeah. that nobody else showed up to. Yeah. And then two weeks later, after our stories had run, the post would show up. Yeah. And then suddenly yeah. it was their story. Right. And But in the ecostructure, that was what our role was. Right. I mean, we were there first. We were the people that were on the ground that, that we were dealing with these really, I mean, you know, things like, like pollution stories were, you know, that were, where there's been just some, we had, a, we had a really great story about, uh, pollution at one of the dumps that was seeping into the water table, and we had all the, all the science stuff around it and everything. And you know, we were the only ones on it for about a month, and then the post showed up, and then it became a huge story. Right, right. Yeah. So it, I mean, but that's I, I don't think that's that's unusual. I mean, the post right. is what the post is, and it right. does. And I agree with you. They're they're kicking ass in so many ways yeah. right now. Um, on the other hand, you know, they're they miss so much. But that just means there's more stuff for us to get. Exactly, exactly. More opportunities. That's right. So l l let's get on that. So that, I mean, it seems like an opportunity for you for the alt paper, and it seems like an opportunity for students coming out of Georgetown. So this is a this is a good, positive, great story about journalism. Before we turn to the mics, you talked a little bit about before you've only been you've only been at the um, the city paper for for, for four months right. uh, that you've been at Paris but you were up uh, at the uh, the Nashville yes, paper yes i grew for, up in journalism in in Nashville Tennessee and was a political reporter for a long time and was editor of the Nashville scene which is the alt weekly there it's a sister paper to the city paper so we're owned by the same company right. which is how i got this job but they knew um, they knew me and they knew that i was looking to repatriate and so that's that's kind of how that all happened. Yes, so. we brought back into the fold. That's right. It had to the, be the, uh, the hazing and the, right. the dark rituals that <laughs> right. brought you back into alternative. It's just like press. riding a bike. Let me just tell you, it's just it's, like it's, riding a bike. It's like like that. So you've got you have a little little background in 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 alternative. Oh, media. I have a long. That's where I've spent. Yeah, I spent thirteen years in alternative. Uh, weekly journalism and so so how did that paper change over that period because that was you know as things were changing I mean um, the, because Nashville scene was a pretty big deal I mean, it's still a, yeah, it, it's still it, a pretty it, big deal it was I mean it like all alt weeklies it's it has evolved over time and I come from a news background so that is my priority and when I was there and when I was editing the paper it was a very very news oriented publication we had amazing arts coverage don't get me wrong very yeah, yeah. deep music coverage and arts coverage but news was was really what we were that's what people talked about you know pick up the phone you're going to get a call back people thought really respected it and i i think they still do i think it has become a little bit less news oriented and a little bit more arts and culture mm -hmm. but that's a reflection of just you know, that's a reflection right. of a lot of things. It can be the nature of the staff. It can be the fact that politics has sort of cleaned itself up 
in some of these places, right. including the district. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And in Nashville as well. You know, I've, I've got a little bit of age on me. And so, I, you know, when I was coming up, there was a little bit more corruption, a little bit more, you know, a little bit more to grab, I yeah. would say. <laughs> So. It's funny that when, in Daryl's interview, he talks about, you know, because he's been there for three decades yeah. and he's shot all types of things. But more recently, his food has become more of the, the <laughs> center of a lot of, of what you, you cover. He's had to he's had to learn how to shoot food. Yeah. Which has been a challenge. We have a great food column that gets that is very well read and and we give it, you know, a good chunk of space every week. And so, yeah, he does have to shoot his food. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> he said he can't make, I think he said he can't make stew look good. I think that's what he decided. <laughs> I don't think anyone has, can make no. stew look good. <laughs> I think that's what we've decided. So, Brooke, what is your background? How did you, you come to George? Yeah, uh, I did town? local TV news. All right. So, serving the public through traffic and weather, updated regularly <laughs> every nice. morning on the sevens. Um, yeah. <laughs> Still in me. You know, there's, there might be a job upstairs for you if you if you if you want to get back in. Um, <laughs> yeah, local TV news actually is still doing pretty well yeah. within the ecosystem, which is interesting. But yeah, so I, I did uh, local TV news um, in Boise, Idaho for oh, wow. quite a long time. Which was speaking of the Boise Weekly was quite popular when I mm-hmm. was in college. And then sort of in my late 20s, I decided uh, to move to London and do a master's in international journalism because I oh, wanted nice. to get into more like documentary filmmaking, as exciting as local news was, can become quite formulaic. And so I ended up liking the academics. So I stayed and got a PhD and kind of then switched. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so we need to call you doctor. Dr. Van Dam. It's very intimidating <laughs> when Dr. I walk into a room until I start talking. Dr. Van Dam. <laughs> so yeah, so then I, I sort of switched to the academic side after I finished my PhD. I moved to Southern California and worked at a liberal arts college there overseeing their journalism program. And then uh, this year, at the beginning of this year, I I took the job at Georgetown and so moved coasts and left the drought and came here. Mm To, the, to the, this wonderful, thriving city that we, exactly. we all love in our, own, exactly. in our own way. Yeah. The way that it loves us in its own way. So was it was it a I know you were in Paris, you were in, in London. Yeah. Were, were those were those experiences? I mean, was that a. Was that a big jump for you in your life? Or was it a big change? Or was it just, I want to do something different? For me, it was a huge change. I mean, I went over there with two babies, and I was a trailing spouse when I went. My husband worked for the UN. It's one thing when you're, you you were younger when you went, and and I was a fully-fledged middle-aged woman. And (laughs) I went over there with young children, and it was a huge adjustment. But I wound up you know, working in international journalism there and, you know, those kids are bilingual now. Yeah. And, and so it, you know, and of course we were there at a, I was in Paris and, you know, during, you know, my office was a few blocks from the Bataclan where oh, wow. um, so many people were slaughtered and it was, uh, you know, my kids would, were doing shelter drills, sheltering in place and crawling under desks and big armed guards were standing at the school front door i mean it was a it was a scary time Mm -hmm. to be in paris and we were of course very lucky to have resources and to you know we were always safe but explaining the kind of things that were going on to young children Mm -hmm. was was pretty tough for me at least yeah i can imagine yeah how about you yeah i mean i think for me and you alluded to this i mean i was quite a bit younger when i moved and, and on my own I moved, and then a year after I moved, the London tube bombings happened. Uh, so, um, 
the city changed for me quite a bit after that. And I stayed on for four more years. But yeah, it's interesting. Being in London for me, the thing that was attractive was studying under uh, BBC journalists, learning from them, how they approach news, what they do differently. So for me, it was a really exciting time to be able to do that, to go there and learn. And, you know, local news and American local news is so different than how they go about there so to spend time just learning and I think it informs a lot of my teaching now and how I think about curriculum because I think we can get really narrow in terms of this is how you do news these are the types of stories you tell I mean you could see that watching cable news kind of just repeat the same things over and over and over because this is quote-unquote how you do it Mm -hmm. and I think it's so important when you're walking into a classroom and I start every single no matter what class I'm teaching my first lecture is what is journalism and why do we have to do it this way? Because I think unless you start there, unless you have an answer to that question, how are you going to be a good journalist? Because how are you going to be able to defend yourself? So for me, that time in London was sort of rethinking how I saw um, the profession and and what it was and what it should look like and are these best practices and do we have to do it that way that I think is really important. I think now more than ever, we should be asking ourselves. I think it's so great when you talk about something like city paper filling this gap, because I think this election has shown us that the lack of local reporting really changed the narrative of the election, right? Because we were all so sure it was going to go this way because no one was reporting in smaller places. I mean, they they died. I don't know if you all saw this summer, John Oliver did a bit on his show about local news and that it's dying. We're not hearing from these places. And I think more than ever, I'm, I'm hoping that we see a resurgence of that as people realize you know, we need to start reflecting more of what's going on, not just in D.C. and New York. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I have a slightly different view. I think that, you know, jur- the journalists did their job in covering these campaigns. They did their jobs and people just didn't care. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that, I, 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 I kind of agree. You know, and that's. And what was what's been interesting to me is, you know, I thought I was leaving Paris. You know, I was seeing we were seeing that Europe was sort of caught in the grip of this sort of fascist moment, you know, with the rise of Marine Le Pen and so many things that were going on. That's the world. And and I thought I would be, you know, repatriating at a time when the United States was going to reject that. And what really scared me before the election, I guess I'm getting off point. But, no, this uh, is perfect. What really scared me Thursday before the election, I was watching MSNBC and Andrew Sullivan was on a panel. He's the Republican blogger, r- really reasonable guy, though, mm-hmm. very gay man, very well respected. And I've always really liked his writing. And he said, he said on the air, all the panelists were predicting a, a Hillary Clinton win. And he said, Trump is going to win because we are in a fascist moment. That was his quote, not just in the United States, but around the world. And I, it just sent shivers up my spine. Because he's not wrong very much, you know, and sure enough, (laughs) you know, uh, Vox had this great explainer video uh, from a few months ago where they were talking about totalitarianism and how it kind of rises and, and that, you know, when people are afraid, when they feel threatened by something, you know, whatever it is that they gravitate towards a strong leader. Mm. And, and that's how those situations happen. And, and I, I kind of agree with you that I think the journalists did do their job, but we weren't talking to the people that we probably should have been talking to. Mm. We weren't, there was, and, and as you said, uh, Brooke, there, there's a strata that there's just, we, we aren't hearing from. I think, 
the explosion that's happened in our industry has hurt us in many different ways. Some of them, I think, have been revealed in, in a very, you know, amazing way with this election, that there's just so much that we don't cover anymore, that there's there's so many gaps in journalism. And then on the other, the flip side of that is, you know, we kind of talked about in passing is the, the, the truth thing that that we have a we have these platforms that that we're sharing information on where in the end people aren't really interested in in whether something is from a truthful source or not if they got to the point where they don't respect the media because yeah we're talking up here and we're not necessarily involved in the conversations where people live then they're going to disregard whatever we say even if we say what we say is 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 quote unquote reasonable and instead they're going to continue just sharing the the information they have that supports whatever their particular yeah, view is. Yeah, ideologues want to just gr- grasp what affirms their their belief, and yeah. And we have a structure now where people who get most of their news from Facebook, you know, have set up feeds that are only feed whatever they particular believe. They they don't get, you know, this is let's let's be romantic about the old daily newspaper, which gave you the news, and and Walter Cronkite gave you the news that that you were supposed to hear and, and get all of the comprehensive information. And this is all the stuff you need to know. Mm-hmm. But we don't have people feeding you that. Everybody has access to news. Everybody has access to and, and people are people are gaming the system, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And that's again why it's so important that we have good students who understand the values of what we do. If we do our jobs, if we convince people what what we, you know, what's important and show why why what we do is important. You know, that's going to go a long way to helping us, I think. Mm-hmm. I hope. That's my hope. Right. My naive hope. <laughs> because I'm a cynical well, journalist. And, well, and we're about to, and I mean, here we are in the district. We're like, this is ground zero for the new administration, right? There are going to be a lot of stories out of the city that are national, yes, but that are also local. I mean, yeah. you know, you saw the immigrants. I don't know if you guys saw, excuse me, Brooke, there was um, a protest the other day, a group of immigrants who showed up in a, at a mayoral event because they thought that Mayor Bowser had not been sort of strident enough and strong enough in her reassurance about D.C. being a sanctuary city and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are going to be a lots of reactions to the things that are on the national agenda within the new administration and that are going to have a trickle-down effect in the district. And so there's going to be a lot to, a lot to cover. Yeah, and what I've told a couple of people, friends and, and, my, and my, my daughters who were really kind of upset about everything, I was like, well, as a human being, I'm horrified. But as a journalist, I appreciate a better story. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow, Mike, that's so, bleak. So, um, like, was it the CBS is, chairman who said so this is good yeah. This will be good for, for journalism yeah. because we're going to have a lot of stuff to cover, unfortunately. But I take that as a as a battle cry that we just need to yeah. get up off our butts and do what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Now that we've, again, ended at this dark place. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I think it's really hopeful. It's, it's interesting. I'm teaching an ethics class this semester. And so, big shock, we've spent the majority of the semester talking about... Ethics and, and how it's going and how journalists are, are covering it. And most of my students, because they come from this area, you know, a little bit maybe more liberal, I would say center liberal. Right. They had, in my mind, they always have to kind of bring a story each week and talk about how it was covered and if they thought the journalists did a good job. They had some better ideas than some of the journalists and, and the articles they were bringing in and you know, some of some of the ways things were framed or they should have done this this way. It, it's encouraging because I think going back to where we started, which is you want different points of view. And I think that's what I was getting to when I talked about the election coverage. Because I agree that the, the press covered the candidates 
spectacularly. I, mm-hmm. I thought, really, they, they did a great job. I just think bringing in more viewpoints, people from different places or that they grew up in different homes. I mean, you know, I would say two thirds of our students are minorities. And, and a lot of that's because our program's a bit cheaper than other schools. I mean, you just get different perspectives, different understandings, different language even. And that's one of the things that's so attractive about Alt Weeklies. The language that you use in telling a story is a lot different than the language that you would use in a New York Times and a Washington mm-hmm. Post. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say let's dumb down everything or make these. But, but I think you're speaking to an audience that wants to hear it that way. I mean, we dismiss bloggers and Facebook people and but hey, someone's listening to them. So maybe we need to use that voice just in di- we use the voice part of it but keep the good quality, trustworthy, truthful content mm-hmm. there, but be willing to sort of expand that. So yeah. along with the idea of listening, I think also the other thing about the election is the, the, the people who the press didn't listen to. And right. if we had, maybe we would have had a better understanding of what was going on, that this was a movement. This was not right. Maybe it election. wouldn't be such a shock. Or, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably what the thing right. is. There was a l- large swaths of uh, this country that the mainstream media just didn't pay attention to or didn't listen to or didn't acknowledge. Well, that's not what the real issue is. The real issue is terror. The real issue is immigration. Well, maybe that's not what the conversation that you're most particularly care about. And that's not what you're going to vote on. But anyway, there are better minds than us that are going to wrestle this problem. Hey, I have a PhD, so oh, I'm just well, joking. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Well, Van Damme. Well, if you could uh, yeah, put together some uh, talking points. You know, it's funny, before before we wrap this up, I was going to try to line up uh, early in the in the campaign. I had somebody um, who come in who's a fact checker and talking about how they fact check. And this is during the um, the primaries. But as we got further into the the the, uh, the election, I was wondering, does, you know, does fact checking even matter mm-hmm. at this point? What do you do? I mean, I think fact checking is important, but I mean, if somebody if somebody disregards your facts, then how do you make them relevant to people? I guess. How do you make the truth relevant to people? I don't know. If they or don't want they, to listen, or to do they him. acknowledge that? I mean, we saw that in interviews about Trump, which yeah, he, he is that. He is he does lie, but I don't care. Right. <laughs> so, oh no, there, there were people, people just didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a. It was a. Yeah. And if you're if you're a journalist and you're covering stuff and you know like well okay, maybe not really that realizing that so many people didn't care mm-hmm. that that you know it was the problem anyway. So, Liz Brooke, thank you for coming in. Yeah. This has been great. Thanks for having. Thank us. you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, you've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, A Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.